I have a confession to make. I'm not really sure I like nature. <laughs> or at any rate, I, I like it only in small doses. I like it in parks or outside my window or maybe as an idea. It's the reality, you know, that dirty, messy, pine needly reality of it that I'm not so sure about. This little problem has cropped up at various times in my life when I wanted to garden as a middle schooler, but it turned out that what I really wanted was a gardening outfit. Hat, gloves, little apron, and not actually the pulling weeds part. Or when I went to Girl Scout camp and much preferred the indoor theater unit to the icky orienteering week. Or when my husband and I first went camping together and he regaled me with stories of his backpacking years when you had to drink the water that you washed your dishes with so as not to waste it and leave food for bears. Is that right? He's in the back, yes. <laughs> While I thought that perhaps we should bring the French press so that we could make cappuccinos over the fire in the morning. Can you tell yet that this is an Earth Day platform? Here's the thing. I have celebrated a number of Earth Days in my lifetime. By the time I got to middle school and high school, it was a pretty standard part of the curriculum. And I've found that they often end up being kind of a hooray for nature, trees are great kind of celebration. Now, I promise you, I do like trees, but I find myself always waiting for something more, something that connects to what I value most deeply, something that takes Earth Day from being just a feel-good celebration of nature to a moment of understanding about what interconnection means. So this is my chance to tell you what I think Earth Day means, what it can be to someone who is perhaps ambivalent about nature, but wild about the world. And I am. I love cities, I love the crush of people and the mix of cultures, the smells and the sounds and all the aliveness that is created. In our meditation time this morning, we sit in silence. And positioned as we are on 16th Street, we are sometimes more likely to hear traffic than birds, more likely to be aware of horns honking, than the gently lapping waves against some distant shoreline. And what I want to say to you today is that Earth Day, and indeed I think the whole environmental movement, the greenness that is so hip these days, it's not only about waves and bird songs. It's about traffic and horns and people and bugs. It's about all the many ways that this world comes together in the great web of life. This idea, I think, this interconnection, is what makes Earth Day something that we celebrate here at WES and in the ethical culture movement at large. Interconnection, or interdependence, is one of our core beliefs. The idea that we cannot really exist without each other. That our own uniqueness is dependent on our relationships with others. Of course, as this idea was originally understood by Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, it was distinctly human-centric. 
Adler was focused on the preciousness of human life as he worked to end child labor, improve working conditions for adults, as he insisted on the worth of every individual. So Adler's sense of connectedness was of person to person, the web of human life. Now, though, I think many ethical culturists hunger for an understanding of the broader web of life, the one that encompasses all living things, that spreads out across the Earth's surface and out still to the stars. It's that web that our children will be studying over the next few weeks as they complete a unit on interdependence. They'll be planting flowers, learning about vermiculture, that's using worms for indoor compost, not one of my favorite topics, but <laughs> celebrating the cycle of life with us at our baby naming ceremony in a few weeks. All of those elements, the flowers, the babies, even the worms, are part of that greater web we talk about, part of our connection to the entire earth. I love that our children are exploring that web, learning about it together, because I think it's actually central to our religious experience here at WES and in the liberal religious movement as a whole. Ethical culture and humanism more broadly has a reputation for being rational, reasoned, a religion perhaps of intellectual conversation and slightly esoteric philosophizing. But as interesting as that conversation can be, it leaves us looking for something more. Any religious journey, any life journey, perhaps, must also have some moments of transcendence, moments when we think more broadly, when our hearts are moved to feel something emotional, something spiritual or sacred or profound. You may put whatever words you like on it. It is that sense of wonder and awe that we so often seek and so rarely find. When I am asked about that search for wonder and where ethical culturists find it, I often point to our belief in that web of connection. So many of us find ourselves breathless, awestruck by the beauty around us rich, extravagant sunsets, budding trees, each flower a perfect little system in itself, majestic mountain ranges, the hidden world of coral reefs, soft moss creeping over slick boulders in a forest stream. My colleague Bill Murray, who was the president of Meadville Lombard Theological School and who writes about religious humanism, has this to say in his book, Reason and Reverence, which I recommend to you. I am struck with wonder and amazement at the fact that there are some 100 billion galaxies in the universe, each with about 100 billion stars. I am filled with reverence and astonishment to know that there are some 30 million different species in the world and that all life evolved over billions of years from one-celled organisms. I feel reverence when I ponder the incomprehensible vastness of the universe and the equally mind-boggling smallness of the submicroscopic world. 
that the universe is, to quote the title of a book by physicist Freeman Dyson, infinite in all directions, is beyond my ability to imagine. That idea that Bill Murray shares with us that so many of us feel of finding inspiration and transcendence in the natural world is, of course, by no means unique to modern liberal religious movements. From Native American traditions to Francis of Assisi, people have noticed the wonder of the world around them for millennia. Indeed, a shared understanding of the importance of the natural world has taken hold as one of the emerging interfaith issues of the 21st century, a justice issue that is shared by Christians, Jews, humanists, Buddhists, and a dozen other faith traditions. These different traditions may articulate their commitment to the earth differently as a stewardship of God's gift of creation, as a response of gratitude to the wonder of evolution, as something both and in between, which I think you find often. But they share a hope to care for the world around them, to reduce humanity's impact on our environment, to turn around the destructive direction of industry, to protect the natural world from ruin. So where does all of this protection of nature, this religious connection, I think, to nature, leave someone like me? who prefers nature in contained parks. I think the answer circles back to that web of life, the one that we expanded beyond Adler's understanding to include non-humans. For me, it's important to remember that in the expansion, we didn't lose the people. Because here's the thing, it's really the people that get me. My moments of wonder, of transcendence, come most frequently when I'm with other people, talking, loving, singing together. I am by no means immune to a beautiful sunset, but what really makes my heart sing is watching a child help his younger sister learn to walk, or hearing the shouts of encouragement and horns honking as women walk down 16th Street in the breast cancer three-day or reading about the couple together for 20 years, finally able to marry in the great state of Iowa. It's experiencing those moments, those tender, magical, human moments, that you're likely to find me feeling connected to the world around me, fully aware of and grateful for my part in the web of life. And that's where I find myself this Earth Day, remembering that the web is big enough, grand enough, for all of this. We get into trouble, I think, when we begin to separate it out, to say that human needs are different from the needs of nature, to believe that we are somehow apart from the world that surrounds us. Some of my deepest aha moments, my experiences of greatest awe, come when I contemplate the basic physical law that posits the conservation of matter and energy. To imagine that all we see around us, the trees and the flowers, but also the people, the cars, the houses, the stars that fill the sky, that all of that was somehow contained within the universe in the very first moments of its existence, and will be contained there still, no more, no less, 
through time beyond time. That is a natural principle that I find holy, amazing. It speaks to a connection that runs deep, that says that I am somehow the same stuff as those composting worms, that the houses we build and the coral reef are tied to each other in ways both mystical and real. Cell phones, even, are part <laughs> of the natural world, part of that web. It's true. That's what I mean by that web. So what does that mean for our work to protect the Earth? For us, sitting here on Earth Day, trying to figure out the balance between living a life we enjoy and reducing our carbon footprint as small as we can get it. I think it asks us to look at the totality of the world, of the universe, perhaps, and to make our decisions, personal and corporate, individual and national, based on our understanding of that connection. Increasingly, activists are pointing out the ways that environmental justice is linked to racial and economic justice, how the power plants we build are overwhelmingly in poor areas, how air quality can be measured neighborhood by neighborhood. Some of you gathered a few months ago to watch an address given by Van Jones, author of Green Collar Economy, who believes that the green job industry is a way to move our country out of both environmental degradation and systemic poverty. We are beginning to see, I think, the ways that our work for the environment is linked to our work for human rights the ways that we can serve both the natural world and the people living in it, understanding, believing that they are in so many ways one and the same. And that's good news for people like me, for those of us that find the deepest meaning in the call, the ache of humanity. Because in the end, humanity needs a world that can support it, a world that is renewed by our interaction with it, instead of destroyed by it. A world that knows we are part of it, made of the very same stuff. That sense of connection helps me when I'm making some of the small decisions that lead us to a greener world. When I remember to bring my own travel mug to the coffee shop, or when I actually go back to my car to get the cloth bags, which I invariably forget on my way to the food store. It can be difficult for me to visualize exactly what a couple extra plastic bags would do to the world. And so remembering my connection to the earth, my actual belonging to nature can help. And the stores are helping these days too. Has anyone been to Ikea lately? No plastic bags at all, not available. It turns out too that my black tea latte is cheaper in my own cup. I was a little cynical about the new hip greenness that has swept the nation, but if it creates changes like this, then I am for it. The truth is that for many of us, an added economic incentive, or let's call it a reminder, is helpful. That 20 cents I have to pay for a paper cup just might help me remember that I have a sacred connection to the world around me. And that's a good cost-benefit ratio. We are living, finally, in the age of 20-cent paper cups, 
in a time of awareness about our impact on the earth. The celebrities and the politicians and even Walmart has jumped on the bandwagon. And although sometimes the greener path leads to simply more consumerism with slightly less guilt, sometimes it really does lead to a greener world. And so we will bring our cloth bags into the store, and even better, the store will make policies, and better still than that, states and countries will make policies. I am enough of an optimist to think we are moving in the right direction, perhaps because I have seen my own choices change over my lifetime. It will take work and advocacy, and hardest of all, giving up things we enjoy or take for granted. But I do think we are getting there. We are beginning to understand what it means to be part of the world. And that is what I want to leave you with today, the sense that you are part of the world, that we are all part of this wild and wonderful world, that when we choose tap water over bottled water or cloth over plastic, we are supporting not just some ecosystem that happens to share our space, but our ecosystem, the matter, the stuff that we are made of. We take care of the earth in the end as a way of taking care of ourselves. And in so doing, we find a sacred connection. We celebrate our place in the beautiful web of life. When this platform closes, we're going to listen to a piece called Emerson's Nature, inspired by a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. As you might know, Emerson was a contemporary and a friend of Felix Adler's. In fact, Adler named his son Waldo in his honor. Emerson and Adler shared a sense of wonder, I think, a sense of wonder in the world. I want to read you this Emerson quote in all its 19th century language and context, and I invite you to keep the image it presents, the wisdom it might hold for you, in mind as you listen to the music that follows. The aspect of nature is devout, writes Emerson. Like the figure of Jesus, she stands with bended head and hands folded upon the breast. The happiest man is he who learns from nature the lesson of worship. To worship, friends, is literally to shape things of worth. May we find nature, our nature, the nature around us, and the web that connects it all, a source for that shaping in our lives. Our closing words are from Robert Weston, and as you hear these words, I invite you to close your eyes and to imagine all the ways that you are the world's, and the world is yours. Out of the stars in their flight, out of the dust of eternity, here we have come, stardust and sunlight, mingling through time and space. Out of the stars have we come up from time, out of the stars we have come. 
Time out of time, before time, in the vastness of space, Earth spun to orbit the sun, Earth with the thunder of mountains newborn, the boiling of seas. Earth warmed by sun, lit by sunlight, this is our home. Out of the stars have we come. Mystery hidden in mystery, back through all time. Mystery rising from rocks in the storm and the sea. Out of the stars, rising from rocks and the sea, kindled by sunlight on earth, arose life. Ponder this thing in your heart. Ponder with awe. Out of the sea to the land, out of the shallows came ferns. Out of the sea to the land, up from darkness to light, rising to walk and to fly, out of the sea trembled life. Ponder this thing in your heart, life up from sea, eyes to behold, throats to sing, mates to love. Life from the sea, warmed by sun, washed by rain, life from within, giving birth, rose to love. This is the wonder of time. This is the marvel of space. Out of the stars swung the earth. Life upon earth rose to love. This is the marvel of life. Rising to see and to know. Out of your heart cry wonder. Sing that we live. <laughs>